The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning, church family. Today our scripture reading is from 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through 22. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Take a kiss I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Trous. Also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisica and Aquila in the household of Onesphorus. Erastus remained at Corneth, and I left you at Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Puddins and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, thank you, Bailey, for reading that passage of scripture for us. Lots of big names in there, uh, which I'm excited about, actually. We're going to walk through um, some of those names in relationship to the topic of this sermon, which is the conclusion of our series in 2 Timothy called Life Together. And this last one, we're actually going to talk about what it means to engage with community. And so, you know, there are a couple of Paul's letters where at the end of them, uh, there's litanies of names, lists of names of people, uh, real people who have relationships with each other, either people who are with Paul and on and wanting to send a message or greeting to people who are receiving his letter, or he's sending uh, greetings to people that the letter is going to be going to. And uh, 2 Timothy gives us a lot of these, and it's really fascinating, and that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to look at the fascinating nature of what we know about a lot of the people that are named in this letter. So today we're concluding our series on how to live life together as a church, which means investing years, sometimes even the rest of our lives, in regular fellowship with one another. And it's really kind of amazing to think about that, right? To think about how much of our time, uh, if we're faithful members of a body of Christ uh, and we live in a community, uh, how much of our time will be spent with other folks in the church. Jesus calls his people to have a role in shaping one another's lives through loving and prizing the truth and, and exalting Christ and to be people who are one body made up of many parts with 
many gifts. And one of the unique features of 2 Timothy is the number of first names that Paul includes here. And so we get a peek into Paul's community of faith, the people that he uh, had walked through life with. And so we're going to list them uh, here in a, in a moment, and we're going to see how community functions beyond the mere accumulation of friends, uh, but deeper into the formation of our lives before God. <clears throat> and so I'm going to gather these names under some headings, and what I want to do is I want to extract from these people's stories some of the prayers that I have for our church, uh, Christ Prez Cool Springs, in order that we might live purposeful lives together over decades or until he returns. And so drawing from our text, I'm going to give you just a couple of the prayers that I have for us as we expand. And those prayers are these. First, that we would seek relationships even when we feel like we have little to offer. That's the first. Second, that the love of Christ would join our hearts to one another and move us past lines of difference or rifts that happen between us. My third prayer is that we would become unforgettable sources of strength to one another for the time that we're together and even if the Lord takes us into other places, that we would be unforgettable sources of strength to each other. Fourth, that we would view our local immediate community as a subset of our global eternal one, so that we see our local immediate community as a subset of our global eternal one. Fifth, that we would, that, that if we must oppose, if we must oppose, that we would know very clearly why we oppose. Uh, and that the reasons for why we oppose would be worthy of any opposition. And sixth, that we would invest our faith knowing that it is not our property. And then finally, seven, I know seven sounds like a lot, but it'll go by quickly. Uh, seven, that we as a community, that we would stay or that we would move with purpose. So that purpose would be what determines our staying in the church or our moving beyond the walls of the church. And so, that's seven points. It's a lot, but we're going to get through them really quick. So first, that we would seek relationships even when we feel like we have very little to offer. Paul mentions the name Onesiphorus. Here he greets Onesiphorus's household. He does this in 2 Timothy actually 1.16. So this is back in the first chapter, but he mentions him by name. But earlier he added something, uh, what he said about Onesiphorus, as he said this, this is uh, 2 Timothy 1.16, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and he found me. So Onesiphorus was a person who, he couldn't get Paul out of jail. He didn't have the power to get Paul out of jail. Still, he searched for Paul. He searched for him at personal risk. Sometimes we doubt that we have much to give, but you can see here in Paul's mention of Onesiphorus, we can see his affection for Onesiphorus, right? That man's presence in his pursuit of Paul was a balm to Paul's heart. And I, that's what I pray for us. I pray that we would invest in relationships, even if all that we have to give is the assurance that we love each other and that we aren't afraid to call each other friend. 
Second, told you these were going to move quick. Second is that the love of Christ would join our hearts to one another and move us past rifts, past relational brokenness. In the church, this happens. In the church, if we get to know each other, we are going to detect personalities that we just feel like we are oil and water, or we're going to interact with people and we're just going to feel like, I I don't like that person, or we got along great and then this thing happened and now I feel like I'm just at odds with this person. There was a time when Paul had a problem with Mark. We read about this in Acts 15, uh, verses 36 and 40, when, when during his missionary journeys, Barnabas wanted Mark to come on the second missionary journey, but Mark, Mark had, had uh, left early on the first one, and, and Paul just was not going to take that chance again. But here he mentions Mark and Luke in 2 Timothy as people who are important to him. So early on when Paul and Barnabas parted ways, they parted ways because of Mark. Barnabas wanted Mark to come on their next journey, but Mark had left the mid-trip before. And so to Paul, Mark's commitment to ministry was dubious at that time, and so he refused to take him along. Barnabas was Mark's cousin, and so Barnabas, at that time, he left Paul in order to be with Mark. And so when Paul said no to having Mark come along, Barnabas said, well, I'm going to stay with, with my cousin. But in this text, we see that that relational problem that they had, uh, we see that not all rifts need to last, or even to settle into distant civility. Because what happened here is now Paul wants Mark to join Timothy in a visit. And you see that he's regarding Mark as useful in ministry. Mark had grown to show his commitment to gospel ministry. And so the naming of Mark and of Luke shows, uh, shows Paul sees little distinction between his friend and his co-laborer in Christ. The ministry of Christ is what unites them. And so it forms a bond, and it's a bond of love, and it's a bond of sacrifice. Remember, it was hardly safe to hang out with Paul in those days, and still Luke was alone with him, and he knew Mark would come if he was asked. Paul never demanded that his friendships be based on who understood him or who liked what he liked or who was into the same things he was into, but being united in Christ was enough for binding love to join their hearts together. So that's my second prayer for us, that the love of Christ would join our hearts to one another and move us past rifts. Third, that we would become unforgettable sources of strength to one another. Ah, Here in this letter, Paul mentions, it says in the text, Prisca and Aquila. That's Priscilla and Aquila. And what we have here is Paul mentioning old friends from his second missionary journey. When Paul arrived in Corinth in his second missionary journey, he was in a bad shape. He was alone. He was broke. And he met these two, Priscilla and Aquila, and they worked together. Priscilla and Aquila came to faith, and then they ministered together. And then Timothy joined them, and they set out for Antioch. But on the way, what happened is they stopped in Ephesus, and 
they recognized there was a need in Ephesus for ministry leaders to stay and to care for the church. And so what did Priscilla and Aquila do? Priscilla and Aquila remained there to serve the church in Ephesus while Paul traveled on. <coughs> Excuse me. Now where do we find them? In 2 Timothy. We find them right where Paul left them. Serving the church. where They, they, they dug in. You know people like this, right? Folks you used to worship with, and though you've moved on, uh, or maybe they've moved on, but when you get updates from these people, you, you, you still you hear and you, you hear about it, and you hear that there's still fixtures in the church, and they're still blooming in ministry where the Lord has planted them. There, there are people you feel are always with you, right? They're just people in your life that you look back and you just think, I, there's a part of them that's just always with me no matter where I go. These are folks who invited you to invited you over uh, to their house during the kids in diapers years, perhaps, or, or took you to coffee, though they were a decade older than you, or, or they took interest um, in what you were doing and just walked with you through it, maybe mentored you. Just, just knowing that they were there gave you strength. My question is, are we that sort of people to one another? Or are we too busy? Are we, are we guarded? Are we bent on recognition and credit before we come alongside other people? I pray that we would be remembered by those who go out from this church. The Lord takes them someplace else. That we would be a church and that we would be people that would, be, that would kind of have these legacies of consistent encouragement by the grace of Christ. That's what Priscilla and Aquila were for Paul. So I pray that we would become unforgettable sources of strength to one another. Fourth, I pray that we would view our local immediate community, Christ Presbyterian Church, Cool Springs, in central Williamson County, in 2020, with the group that we are, uh, that we would see it as a subset of a global, eternal community. Community. So Paul mentions these names here. He mentions Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia. First, I love that there's a Linus in the Bible. That's great. Uh, but Eubulus felt for, for Timothy, Eubulus was a person who felt for Timothy the same way that Paul felt for Priscilla and Aquila. He greets Timothy and Pudens and Lydus and Claudia, uh, believers who were close to Paul, uh, and he says, greet the entire church in Ephesus. Um, it could be that they, that they all knew each other, they knew the, the believers in Ephesus, or that they just wanted to say hello because though they may not have known each other, they were a family in Christ. But, but what we have is we have a fraternal relationship with all Bible-believing churches. So Timothy and Paul, Paul is telling Timothy to greet the entire church, and there's this fraternal relationship between Bible-believing churches. You know we have that, right? That Christ Presbyterian Church is a sister to any other Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming church, not only in our city, but around the world, that we're joined together. We have a fraternal relationship. These, these folks are our brothers and sisters in these other churches. When we speak of churches, both locally and around the world, we are speaking for our own family. Sometimes, I don't get in a lot of uh, social media sparring. I don't do a lot of arguing on social media or debating. I, I've noticed that the times when I do, uh, the times when I will speak up and, and um, push on something, 
is when I feel like the sanctity and the integrity of the church is being tarnished or is being misrepresented by somebody. I take that very personally, even when it's not Christ Pres Cool Springs. I take it very personally because I have a relationship. These are my brothers and sisters around the world. They're yours too. I feel mother hennish uh, when it comes to the church. And so the question is, how can we be healthy? How can we be healthy if our attitude toward one another, if our attitude toward our own family in Christ is one of superiority and constant comparison? I pray that we would view our local immediate community as a subset of a global eternal one. That because we're part of a church, we're part of the church, uh, the church universal. Fifth, and this is an important one. This is so important for us to, to, to make sure we say. And that is this. If we must oppose, and that is if we must oppose, that we would know why. And that we would do so on solid theological grounds of significance. So, Paul names names in this letter. In verse... Uh, Chapter 1 of 15, he mentions Demas and Alexander and Philegius and Hermogenes. And then in 2, he mentions Hymenaeus and Philetus. And so there's a lot of names that he's listing here, and these are not on the good guy list, right? These names are not. So Demas and Philegius and Hermogenes were, were men who were with Paul, but then later abandoned him. And we remember this is, you got to remember, this is a personal letter that Paul's writing. So it's not intended necessarily to be read aloud to entire congregations, though it would be uh, later. But we'll, so, so Paul is not publicly exposing these men to everybody in this letter. He's warning Timothy of them. That's what he's doing. He's specifically warning Timothy of these men because these men turned from Paul, and some of them caused great harm, possibly even leading to him being arrested, and so Paul wants Timothy to be aware. Remember, Paul's main charge to Timothy is to guard the gospel by preaching the word. Right? That's what he's telling him in this letter. We are permitted to oppose people, but only if they meet certain requirements. And Paul's criteria were those who, one, proclaim a false gospel intentionally, uh, yeah, well, the, number one is people who proclaim a false gospel. Two, mean to proclaim a false gospel. Three, won't submit when they're confronted with proclaiming a false gospel. And fourth, intend to keep at it until they get their way. These are the criteria. So we're not talking about somebody who believes something differently than you, but, you know, believers down through time have agreed with them and some have agreed agreed with you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who proclaim a false gospel, mean to proclaim a false gospel, won't stop proclaiming a false gospel when they're confronted, and intend to keep at it until they get their way. These we should oppose with vigor. You hear me? We should oppose this with vigor, even naming names if we have to, for the safety of the congregation. What's the flip side of this? Well, the flip side of this is unless these things are happening, unless these things are happening, we have no grounds for ongoing opposition to members of the church. None. None. So, that's my prayer for us, is that if we must oppose, we would know why, and we would do so on very solid biblical grounds, that somebody is intending 
to proclaim a false gospel and refusing, knowingly, to stop. Sixth, that we would invest our faith knowing it is not our property. We've talked about this a little in this series already, but you have Paul mentioning by name, Timothy, obviously, and Lois and Eunice. And so we dare not forget whose name is on this letter, Timothy, and his mother and his grandmother. And Paul cares deeply for these folks. He has a clear sense of what the Lord began in Lois and Eunice and what he's continuing in Timothy. And Timothy possesses a legacy of faith that is handed down, and Paul is contending for Timothy not to only hold on, but to grow, right, in maturity and strength. He's been given a deposit to guard, something to invest, something to employ for solid returns. And so here we have another humble reminder that our faith doesn't belong to us. Sometimes we're the first in our family to believe. Sometimes we're from a long generation, a generations, a long line of generational believers. But regardless, all who come to faith are brought there by God. God's the one who brings people to faith. And almost every time, he has used his own people as the means by which we have heard, even as he himself opens our ears to hear and to believe. And so I pray that we would be very evangelistic as a church, that we would invest our faith knowing that it is not our own property, it's not ours to keep. And then lastly is this, is that we would stay or that we would move with purpose. Uh, and here you have the scattered others that are kind of mentioned here um, in, this, in this letter. Peppered through this text are other people and where they are, right? So though Known to Paul and Timothy, we know very little about these people, except that they were partners in the gospel. But when you gather these names together, you get a picture of the spread of the gospel throughout the world, and we have reason to care for them. You have folks like Crescens in Galatia, and Titus in Dalmatia, and Tychius on his way to Ephesus, and Carpus in Troas, and Erastus in Corinth, and what'd you say, Bailey? Uh, how'd you pronounce it? Trophimus in Miletus. And what we, we presume they're in the process of taking the gospel out to the world. That's what these folks are doing. And it would only be by ministries, by the ministries of people like this, that the gospel would eventually find its way to where? To Nashville uh, here in, in 2020, that the gospel would be proclaimed um, in Williamson County in the fall of 2020, it would be because people like Crescens and Tish, Tish, uh, Titus and Tychius and, and Carpus and the others were called to be in community, but it seems that hardly anyone stays put very long um, anymore. People come and go. We wonder why we should spend the emotional energy and time in building relationships. Sometimes we may say, I don't have the emotional bandwidth for any new friends. And then feel sad that we don't have any new friends. Listen, we have a purpose in this world to bear witness to Christ. And that message takes a community of faith to tell well. And so I want to conclude, actually, this message with some words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who wrote the, his, his kind of most well-known book, Life Together. Uh, and I'm going to read this quote from that as a way of, of concluding this point that we would stay or move with purpose and also wrapping up. Um, this series. Christendom, he says, is a scattered people. 
like seed into all the kingdoms of the earth. I will gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall return, Zechariah 10. When will that happen? He continues. It has happened in Christ Jesus, who died that he should gather together in one the children that were scattered abroad. And it will finally occur visibly at the end of time when the angels of God shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Till then, God's people remain scattered, held together solely in Jesus Christ, having become one in the fact that, dispersed among believers, they remembered him in the far countries. So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. I'm going to read that last sentence one more time. Between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. That's what we're doing right now. Our call to live in community is a privilege. It's a gift. It's a good idea. And so I pray that we would be an honoring reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ in how we love and in how we live life together. That we'd always be growing and always serving with the best that we have. Always studying His Word. Always pursuing maturity and usefulness. Always invested and kingdom work, passionate to serve and to glorify Christ, our Lord, and the head of the church. Those are my prayers for us. I love you, Christ Prayers, Cool Springs. I am so glad to be pastoring here. Let me pray for us. Father, you have given us a gift of <clears throat> community. And it's the kind of gift that, that uh, leads to growth. I think of when I was a kid, my, my grandparents would invariably give me at Christmas some sort of a, a brain teaser puzzle, nails that were bent together in a funny way that there was only one way to separate them or some kind of a 3D puzzle or whatever. Those gifts were intended to stretch me. Uh, and that's how the church works. That's how the body of Christ works. You give us this gift of community, and it's a gift that doesn't leave us where it finds us, but grows us and matures us and stretches us and uses us for the encouragement and growth of others as well. So, Lord, we thank you for that. Um, be with our congregation. Father, we pray for um, everyone's safety and security, uh, protection from the evil one, from sickness. Uh, Lord, guide us and protect us. Lead us forward as we step into our third year of existence uh, and look ahead at the horizon. Father, we're thankful for your, your kindness to us, and your mercy and your grace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.